The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Good morning, chapel family. I am glad that you are here. If you are new, welcome. My name is Ryan and I am your pastor. And today we are continuing our series called Action Jackson, Walking in God's Grace. And we're going to be in the book of 1 John. So if you have a Bible, you can flip to 1 John. Or if you have a um, fake Bible like I'm using today, you can scroll to 1 John so that the warm glow of God's Word can be upon your chin. Seeing how much of you have had coffee. Um, As we travel through 1 John, um, it's important for us to understand where John is coming from. John is writing to a group of people who were denying that Jesus ever came in the flesh. Um, John is writing uh, or to a group of people who, who had enemies, rather, who are saying Jesus never came, and he's writing to encourage them. John is also writing about two primary topics, that God is light. Everyone say light. And God is love. Somebody say love. Okay, it's not that God has light or that God emanates light. First John tells us God is light, and First John tells us God is love. And we are in chapter 2 today, but to recap um, the last week, I just want to read three verses because it really captures the essence. And I'm going to read them out of order. For those of you who are like, I don't like out of order things, I don't apologize. Um, 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we have no sin in us now. He's talking to believers. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Jesus is the truth. Verse 10, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Back to verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. So this is setting us up for today. Don't say that you have no sin. Don't say that you have never sinned. Instead, always confess your sin. Confess the brokenness in your life and let God cleanse you. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to move into chapter 2. Father, I, we, Lord, need your presence to change our lives. Lord, we need more than just principles and steps and programs. We need a a total resurrection of our being. We need you to put light where there is currently darkness. God, I pray that you would help us to sift through some of um, just the church language that can so easily from time to time go in one ear and out the other. But today, God, let us reflect and think deeply on what it means to be a child of light. Let us reflect and ponder and prayerfully consider Areas of our life where you're trying to purge brokenness, purge darkness, purge evil from us. And God, in the name of Jesus, kill the sin that is within us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, which is um, some scholars say this this story wasn't in the earliest manuscripts, but it's it's a story we all know. And it's so powerful, which is why I bring it up so often. And it starts with... um, starts with a group of men. They, they barge into a room and they catch a woman in the act of adultery. And we never hear about the man that she was living in adultery with. We never hear about the man who was having relations with this woman. But these group of re- angry religious men, they grab the woman and they, they're bringing her through the street. And if you can have the visual, because it's so much uh, more powerful in my mind, it's an, in time where there were no concrete 
things around in Jerusalem. It was dirt paths. And these angry men are white-knuckling. They've grabbed this woman. They've thrown her down. And they're dragging her. And they say, we can trap Jesus now. We are going to trap Jesus because he's all about this forgiveness stuff. And we think he's not giving the law enough uh, of an elevation. So we're going to take this girl and we're going we're to get Jesus in this pigeonhole trap. And they, they drag the girl over. And, and I can only imagine what it would be like um, because... Just this past week, I was playing this game with the youth group called Kajabi Can-Can. Kajabi Can-Can is a game where you hold ropes between your hands and the person next to you, and you're you're in a circle. And there's a commercial-sized trash can in the middle. And the goal of Kajabi is to never let go of the rope and get other high schoolers and junior hires to hit the can. If you hit the can, you're out. If you let go of the can, you're out. And I played because I'm large, and I thought, this is a great opportunity for me to have some self-therapy and unleash my anger on children. So I'm tossing them, I'm tossing them. And as we're getting down, I start to realize, like, I'm lo- this, this circle is narrowing. And one of the high schoolers that's there has at least some serious amount of athletic ability and poundage on me. Um, so we're getting down, final four. I'm like, oh, man, we got, hey, you guys, let's get this guy out over here. Let's get big boy. He's football player. Let's get him out. And then they're one by one, dropping, dropping. So it's just him and I left in the end. And I'm no small fry. I'm six foot six, and um, with my new, um, I'm, I'm a five-day-old vegan, not for any reason other than the fact that I wanted a good challenge. Um, so I'm a six foot six, 218 pounds, and this high schooler, this junior in high school, as we hold these ropes, literally at one point lifts me, I get off my feet. And at this point, there's about a dozen middle schoolers Snapchat storing this thing. <laughs> And this high schooler is literally dragging me through the lawn. Like, I'm on my back, and some of the leaders are nodding their head because they were there. He's dragging me, six foot six, 280. I'm, dra- I'm spinning in circles. I'm like a popsicle, and I'm panicking. I'm thinking, this kid's going to win. And I'm like, don't cry because you're a grown man. Just hold it all together. But literally, I'm getting drugged through the grass by this kid. Now, spoiler alert, I ended up winning. Because it's all about physics, people. These high schoolers, they barely passed chemistry. So I just waited, planted, he touched a can. I was victorious again. But that sense of like sheer panic and fear multiplied by a thousand. Because I I was in a game, and for me, what was at stake was pride This girl is in real life, and for her, what's at stake is death. So so going back to that story, she's she's thrown before Jesus. And Jesus, in the calm, cool, collected demeanor that I, I tend to see him at, looks at her, looks at the religious people, and the religious people already have rocks in hand to kill her because it's the law. She committed adultery. We stone her. Not nothing to say of the guy where they found her in bed. And they say, great teacher, sarcastically. The law of Moses says we are to kill this adulterous person. What do you say? Because Jesus was all about showing God's love and forgiveness in a new way that had never quite been experienced, tasted, and seen. And the story says he leaned down and wrote something in the sand, and he got up, and he he said, whoever has no sin in your life, throw the first stone. And, and in my mind, when I see this story playing out, it's always the oldest person in my mind that drops the stone first. So there's some religious person who's 
old along in years, long in the tooth, and they've got the stone, and they're angry. They want to, they want to hurt this woman because they want to trap Jesus, and Jesus does what we call the Jesus juke, but only he can do it. <laughs> and, and he says, if you've not sinned, throw the first stone. And, and the longer you've been alive, the more you realize that you've done things that are not right, not good, not true, not pure. So that's why I always picture the old guy first, just dropping the stone, saying, I, I can't throw it. And the ones who are left in the very end, they're like the recent converts, like the same as in Christianity. The most recent Christian converts, like if you take a male who comes to Jesus in their 20s, man, they are ready to huck some rocks. But, but in the end, they realize like, well, my mentor left, that mentor left, my friend, I'm, I sin too. And they just leave. And the woman at this point doesn't even realize that people are leaving. She might have heard the, the dropping of a stone, the dropping of a stone, but it said that, that Jesus had to say, woman, where are your accusers? Look around. And it's almost like she was in such fear that she couldn't look because she thought this was the moment. She thought this was the time she's going to die crying at the feet of a person she had never met. And then finally she can come out from under the shawl that's going to be covered with tears and dust and sweat and fear. And she sees that her accusers have gone. And Jesus says to do none condemn you, neither do I, so go and sin no more. The reason I tell you that story is because this passage we're looking at today, and to me, that story encapsulates this passage. That's the narrative, and this is the theological framework. And I wanted you to feel some of what that woman felt, out of control, fear, sin, and then we don't know anything about this woman ever again, as far as I know in the Bible. Jesus says, go and sin no more. Um, I'm guessing that she might have sinned more, but I don't know. So here's what John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says. My little children, I am writing all of these things to you so that you may not sin. I don't like sin. And not in the stained glass word, because in churches we say the word sin, and we are all going to load our definitions of what sin is into our mind and worldview. We have to understand that at the core of what sin is, it is saying, I'm not going to believe the truth about God, I'm going to believe a lie about God, and something else is going to take God's place in my life. I'm going to look to something else for my satisfaction. I'm going to look to something else for my security. I'm going to look to something else to find my sense of acceptance or purpose or value or worth. That is what sin is at the core. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, it was, I'm not going to believe that God is good and I want to take this fruit for myself because I think it might make me better than what I am. In every sin that we do, whether it's lying, murdering, stealing, lusting, addiction, drug abuse, whatever it is, it starts with this idea that if I just have this thing, whatever it is, my life will be more complete. This is what I'm talking about when I'm reading this passage. John wants us to know these things, that we can be forgiven, that we can behold a Savior so that we will not sin. Now, one of the other things that happens when you read God's Word is that you realize God is infinitely more perfect than we first fathomed and that we are far more wretched than we ever knew. Although sometimes, I don't know if followers of Jesus always believe this, but we sing this song, and we, everyone in here knows this song probably, even if you've never, if this is your first time at church, you know this song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
It's not a wretch like you, 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 you. I mean, that'd be a really easy song to sing in some church gatherings. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like everyone except for me. Because we tend to compare ourselves to others and what they're doing wrong rather than just saying, God, you died for a wretch like me. And John wants us to not sin. I have a hunch that, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an optimistic pessimist. I know that sounds oxymoronic, but I'm also a tall Filipino, so um, <laughs> I live in this world. <laughs> it's, don't sin. Don't, don't pursue things that won't satisfy your soul. Don't elevate yourself and, and lower God's standards so that you can reach God by your own behavior and churning, but rather confess your sins because He is faithful and just to forgive us. He is faithful and just to cleanse us. It is His work that He does within us as we behold Him. So John goes on and says, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, Jesus Christ, the perfect, Jesus Christ, the one who always did what was right, never did what was wrong, died on the cross to change report cards with us. It says in verse 2, he is the propitiation. That's a, a big um, seminary word. Everyone want to give it a go? Say propitiation. Some of your Bibles might say atoning sacrifice, or some of your older Bibles might say expiation. It's, it's the fact that, that Jesus died for our sins. He paid the price, paid in full, Everything that our sin owed to God's perfection, Jesus said, I'm paying that bill and I'm giving you my record of goodness. And it says, but not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, he's not saying that all people um, are covered by Jesus' sacrifice and all people end up in heaven. That's a, it's called universalism. We know he's not saying that because four chapters later, he says, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So we know that life is found in coming to Jesus as this sacrifice. He is our advocate. Now, I, I, I love this idea that when we sin, Jesus is there. Because there's a very common practice that I've seen um, among religious and spiritual people. It's that when you do something bad, you beat yourself up a lot. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm with this camp. Uh, it, it's hard to not default and say, I'm, I did something terrible. I'm going to beat myself up. I can't believe that I did that. And, and I, don't get me wrong, we should be remorseful over our sin. But there are many people who I see, and they're so down on themselves, they're so drowning in a pool of shame that they can't even function for days after a particular sin. They can't even speak at times. Their, their emotions and their demeanor are changed when they've done something that they know is not good, not right, not true. But this verse says that every time we sin, we have an advocate. Jesus steps into the gap and says, Father, she's one of mine. I've, I've paid. It's complete. It is finished. There's nothing that you can do if your faith is in Jesus Christ as Lord. There is nothing that you can do that can make God love you less or more because God loves you 100% where you sit right now because it's all about what Jesus has done, not what you have done for yourself. This is what an advocate who pays for our sins means. It means that when you sin, 
the very next moment, you can sing praises to God's amazing grace. It means that when you fall short and when you choose something that is not God to fill a void in your life and you realize that it's happened, you can say, God, I can't believe that I took my eyes off of you again. Once again, I'm thankful for what Jesus has done for me. I've, I've, um, I've gotten in trouble before because um, with particular sins, I tell people to preach the gospel right at their sin in the midst of their sin. And let me give you an example uh, if there's something that you go to, and you could just pick any sin, and, and I've, I've used like very prevalent underground sins before, but there's younger people here, so I, I won't. But, but literally, if you're about to look at something, do something, participate in something that you know, like I'm going down a bad path, I tell people all the time, here's what you do. In the middle of that moment, like not after it, in the middle of it, I want you to say, Jesus, thank you that you went to the cross and you died for this sin that, that I'm, I'm about to commit. Like right in the middle of it, looking at the computer screen, going down to some place you shouldn't be, doing something that you know you shouldn't be doing. And, and the people that that offends most often are people who are religious people because they say, well, if you tell people that, then they're just going to sin and they're just going to say that over and over. They're going to go look at that thing and say, Jesus, thank you, you died for this sin that I'm about to do, and then they're going to do it. But here's the interesting thing about this. I've met a lot of people who have struggled with a lot of things. And it is very hard to give thanks to Jesus for his death on the cross and then continue in the sin that you are about to do. It is extremely hard. Now, I don't want you to do a social experiment because, because family, I don't want you to sin. But if you find yourself in that position where sin is crouching at the door, I want you to say, Jesus, not in your brain either, like out loud, awkward. Jesus, thank you that you died for this sin that my heart is running toward. Say it out loud. If, it's, if you're in the middle of Park Square, I don't care. Proclaim God's victory over sin, and you'll think, well, then I won't do it. And I'll say, that's the point, dummy. I don't want you or me to sin. Because every time we sin, it's not that we're just making a cosmic God angry. What it's doing, it's literally breaking down and disintegrating the fabric of what ultimate life and reality are about. When we sin, it's not that God's up there like, I've got all these things and you're just making me matter and matter. The reason God grieves over our sin is because he has wired humanity to live in a certain way that functions best. And part of that is him being the center of everything we do. And when we sin, we begin disintegrating that. People say, well, wait, we need to do marriage classes. We need to do parenting classes. And while those are amazing and good and we should do some of those, absolutely. If we don't deal with sin issues, those classes are going to be band-aids where there needs to be surgery or resurrection. We have to get to the root and understand that sin is this constant brokenness within us that's trying to deter us and distract us and detour us from God. We're going to keep going because some of you are saying, okay, man, I sin a lot. Some of you are saying, well, I don't sin very much. Don't say that because we read verses 8, 9, and 10. But if you want to know if you're saved, John's going to give us some words. And by this, verse 3, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his, help me out, <clears throat> commandments, <clears throat> whoever says, <clears throat> pardon me, I don't know or I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, 
in him. <clears throat> Truly, the love of God is perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. Water, coffee. What? Nothing? What's in that cup? Do you have a disease? I need to clear it out. This is what family love looks like, people. That was hot. There's milk in there. I'm a vegan five days ago. Crying out loud, Lord. Going for water next time, Michelle. I just looked and I thought, who doesn't have disease? I'm going for their cup. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. Um, but, But this is how you know. You keep his commandments in him. Thank you. This is what elders are for. Just glory. <laughs> I usually have it up here. I just don't today. By this we know we are in him. We keep his commandments. We abide in him. Now, I, you need to understand, it's not if you keep your, his commandments, then he loves you. It's he loves you, so then you want to keep his commandments. It's not the reverse order, and that's where too many people get it wrong. They think, if I blew it this week, then God's going to punish me. And I hear this all the time. People say, like, I got a flat tire this week. I overdrafted my checking account. Like, I must have made God angry. Or you're terrible with finances and you should have checked your tires. And God can discipline. God does discipline. And he disciplines to get us out of self-destructive habits. This is why God disciplines us. But he's not doing it out of anger and want a desire to to punish he's not some sadistic person he's saying i love you so much i want to turn you away from this path that leads to a cliff so if you keep his commandments it's an outward sign of an inward reality that's already happened and that is that you've confessed and said god i need you i can't do this without you and god then says i will cleanse you and fill you and empower you to walk in my ways this is what we call like the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's when God comes into you. It's not just a payment for past sins, but he literally gives you the ability to say no. He literally gives you the ability to begin to sync up your life with the way he created the universe to work and operate and function. And if you want to know, am I saved? My first question is always going to be, do you believe that Jesus is Lord, that he died for your sins and rose again? If you say yes, then I'm going to say, okay, do you keep his commands? Because keeping his commands is the overflow of believing that truth. It's the overflow of God being in you. And I don't mean keeping his commands in the generic way. I don't mean saying, I'm going to look at the Ten Commandments, and if I get six, six out of ten, if I do six out of ten, then I'm good. Because D's get degrees, 60%. That's not how God works. It's... um. Have you broken God's law and fractured it? Because every one of us in here has and does and or will. Maybe some are right now. I'm very aware um, that sometimes I can be brash. Some of you have judged me. Then now you're sinning during a sermon. That's a bummer. But I've also judged some of you. Now I'm sinning while preaching. That's a bummer. But is our trajectory different from the moment we receive Christ than it was before? Because this is a myth. 
And it's easier to work in simplification. But people think that spiritual growth goes like this. You get become a follower of Jesus right here. Some of you, you're thinking, I don't know if I am yet. I'm thinking about it. I'm here exploring. But when you do, you think spiritual growth happens like this. I just get, and I know it's not a word, gooder and gooder and gooder and gooder and gooder and gooder. But that's not how spiritual reality works. Here's how it works. You come to know Jesus. You realize you're a train wreck. And you go like this. That's a more realistic picture of spiritual growth. Because you're like, oh man, I'm in a Bible study. I love people this month. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on 5th Sunday, April 29th. I'm going to go serve the homeless and I'm going to feed them or I'm going to get baptized. I'm doing great. And then all of a sudden, that's like, and then May, something happens. This passage is talking about a trajectory of obedience. Are you generally growing? Because now the sins that I do are unrecognizable from the sins that I did. Because when I first became a follower of Jesus, the only things that were told to me were sin were very easily measurable things. When I came into the church as as a, a, a young adult, I said, okay, what do I do now? I'm telling people about Jesus. I'm reading this book. And they just said the same things that every youth group said in the 1990s. Okay, well, you don't watch rated R movies. I'm like, oh. And this is like right around the time like The Matrix is coming out. So I'm like, are you kidding me? You don't listen to secular music. I'm like, oh. So what do I do with all my CDs? Well, you burn them. Oh. You don't have sex. What do you guys do for fun? I can't go watch The Matrix. Metallica is out. And I can't even pursue girls because the study that the youth group was doing was called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Not even I Kissed Sin Goodbye. I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And I, I told the youth pastor, I'm like, dating is why I came to this group. I don't like this. I didn't know what to do, how to process. Because now, you know, I can... Watch rated R movies as long as they're about Jesus or history. That's what Christians accept. But most people don't even care anymore. Um, I I listen to Metallica Ride the Lightning still. And I've listened to it. I think that is one of the most God-glorifying pieces of artwork in the history of mankind. If you disagree with me, you need Jesus and you probably drink decaf coffee. (laughs) I write these things so that you may not sin, brother. (laughs) And... So how are we how are we moving? What is our trajectory? Are we continually seeing certain sins purged from our life? God's not going to reveal all of your sin to you at once. He's going to usually do it one or two at a time. He's going to say, here's an area where we're going to work. Because you don't go into the, under the hood of a car, look at all the problems, and just start fixing everything at once. You, you maybe lift the engine. You, you, you fix this piece. You don't try to un ratchet one piece over here while you're tightening down the distributor cap over here. You, you do one thing at a time, and, and God is gracious with us. But it's a trajectory that we should see. If we don't see the trajectory, you should ask yourself, maybe I'm not in Christ, and I want to ask more questions about that. So, keep his word, because I love this. Verse 5, whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, in Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 
This means that you're going to walk in love for God and others. I mean, the most simple paradigm, the most simple set of lenses to see the world through is to ask yourself, is this loving God and others? Christianity, for all of its complexities that it can have, is boiled down to what Jesus said when asked, what is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Every time you do anything that we would call a sin, it's in that moment, you may not have recognized it until today, but you are functionally loving something more than God and others. And it's usually ourselves. You're saying that if I can get this pleasure, then I will be happy. You've put the love of God on the back burner, and you've put the love for yourself and your own pleasures on the front burner. When you steal something, you're, you're not loving the person you're stealing from. When, when, you, when you look at inappropriate things and you're lusting, you're not, you're, you're not loving the person on the other side of that screen who is a human being created in God's image and should be loved and cherished and respected for who they are, and you're not loving your spouse or your kids. Like All of these components, it all comes down to us for fleeting moments forgetting to love God and love others above all else. But if you walk, if you abide in Jesus, if you're connected to Jesus, you will walk in the same way that he walked. And you're thinking, how do I even start doing that? Find someone who's just two steps ahead of you and walk with them. It's, it's really easy. You may think, well, I don't, I don't have time to like, do this. I don't have time to meet with somebody. Then it's going to be very difficult. But, but it's so easy to walk with Jesus when you have someone that's a couple steps ahead of you. Um, because it's, it's like last week I talked about um, how much Legos are evil, clear Legos. And then all of a sudden, the number of people that were writing me about Legos, it was hilarious, sending me pictures of Legos, memes of Legos, because I think Legos, clear Legos, are born from the pit of fire in hell. And, um, and I thought, look, now we're all cleaning up our Legos. Very simple. I make a joke about Legos being evil. Everyone cleans up their Legos. You cleaned up your Legos this week. Terribly. Your son did it terribly. You did terrible, Ben, wherever you're at back there. It's that easy. It's, you want to follow Jesus? Okay, here's what I do. I wake up. I pray. I give thanks to God before I do anything in the morning. Before my feet hit the floor, I give thanks to God. And then I have a time where I carve out to, to clear my mind of everything. And then I pray and I read God's word. And then wherever my first meeting is, I, I begin the day. It's like a cascading waterfall of prayers. I pray for every meeting that I go to on, for the person, for their family, for anything I know about them. And then I meet with them. And then I pray when I leave the meeting. Give thanks to God for them. Give pray for the things that they were talking about. And my day goes that way. If any of you wanted to come and hang out, I'd love to hang out. If some of you are like, well, I don't know how to bring a rhythm of God into my workplace, I'll come to work with you. I'm sure they have a bring a pastor to work day. Um, and I'm not going to like stand on your cubicle and like, Jesus, yeah. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to, Watch and say, like, oh, this is a cool opportunity you have to do such an amazing thing. And it, and it could be something from uh, working in, in retail. I, I've worked in retail. I've been a store manager. I've worked in pharmaceuticals. I've run clinical trials. So it's not that I've just been a, in the pastor bubble my whole life. Like, I, I know how this works for people that have to work 40, 50, 60-hour-a-week jobs. That's why I'm not that pastor who says, now what I want you to do is read the Bible for two hours a day. Because I've sat with those pastors and I've said, have you ever worked a 55-hour-a-week job and, and then had to read two hours a day on top of that? That's dumb. It, we could say that as pastors because it's literally my job. 
But to put that on people who have to come home, clean, do chores, do this, run errands. Half of you are Uber drivers for your children to get them to sporting events. I mean, life is hard. So learning how to, how to put the rhythms of God into the daily rhythms of your life is huge and difficult. But it's doable, and it leads to amazing things. We didn't get as far as I would have liked today. So next week, um, we're actually going to pick up, not where it says in the bulletin, but we're going to pick up um, right where I left off in verse 7, really, is we're going to read through that again. Um, and then go through 14. So we're going to bump the series back a little bit. Put that in your notes uh, if you want to follow along. Let me pray, and then we will have a couple of announcements. Uh, Father, you are good, and your love endures forever. Lord, um, help us. Help us, God, to not sin. Fill us, Lord, with such radical desires to behold and see Jesus and what he did on the cross for us that we have little desire to sin. God, I I long to see a family who walks in freedom. I long to see a family who is freed from sin here, who can step boldly into your love and forgiveness when we do fail, but who will constantly lift one another up out of the swamp when we get stuck. Lord, give us fresh eyes to see how we can love others well. Give us fresh ears to hear your word this week. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's kids said, amen.